0: Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler.
1: okay welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network I'm Travis and joining me again is Brent how's it going buddy
2: it is going fantastic
1: let's pick up where we left off you want to
2: that sounds so good
1: we're working on and working through here part two of 13 essential characteristics of effective replanters and today we're doing the last six now when we left off last time we were dealing with resource generalists and we hit that pretty good so let's move on to the next one Brent what else we got up here
2: so we've got tactical patience, which is the ability to skillfully implement change at a pace um, that's appropriate to um, your specific congregation's health and, and needs. Um, this is about having the discernment of knowing when something must be changed, but not just when it not not just knowing that needs to be changed, but also how it should be changed.
1: All right, uh, this is really an issue of you know. I would say tactical is important, but also toleration. I mean, you are going to have to learn what you can take and what you can't take, yeah. and uh, you know, you are going to have to learn to be reserved. Sometimes you just you just can't you can't revitalize everything in a church at one time. There yeah. has to be phases to this thing, right? So, uh, this one is is critically important for a replanter, as the clock usually is on your side if you will give it time, right? Yeah. All right, Brent. What do we got
2: next? Then we've got initiative. Um, you know, the, the, the replant pastor with initiative, he, he leads the church with a passion that is rooted in biblical convictions and is demonstrated in uh, a, a bias for action, right? He, he proactively works to avoid problems as well as uh, finding or creating new, new opportunities. So... This might be one that can't be taught,
1: mm. in my opinion, because you either got it or you don't. Yeah, you know, you're either going to get up and go after it, or you're just going to sit on the sideline, right?
2: Yes, I, I, I definitely agree that it can't be taught. Um, if you don't, if you don't have this, I wouldn't say that it doesn't mean that you can't have it because you need it. But this is one that you got to do some serious praying about, mm-hmm. and. You know, I, I would sort of tie this in to the whole buy-in category. If you don't believe in it, your people aren't going to. You know, we talked about being missionally focused. We talked about the Great Commission. You can get up and you can preach about the Great Commission every, every morning. But if you are not bought into it, if you're not passionate about it, if you're not rooted in it, um, if, it is, if it's not your entire basis for action then you can't expect your people to get behind it or remember it or even consider it as important.
1: Well, passion is contagious. Yes. Right? If you don't believe me, join me in Knoxville at Neyland Stadium on a Saturday afternoon in fall because we don't get night games anymore because we're not that good. <laughs> but So you have to join me in an afternoon. And when the wave goes around, that passion for the team is contagious. In a much better sense, your initiative or your lack thereof initiative is also contagious. Yes. Right.
2: So start the wave on Sunday morning and see, Do it. see how it goes.
1: Go. <laughs> False. <laughs> don't say that, though. Yeah, don't say that. Yeah. All right, next. Emotional intelligence. I mm-hmm. believe that if you don't have this, you can't be a revitalizer or a replanter. I'm, yeah. I'm just going to say that on the front end. Emotional intelligence is the capacity to be aware of, control, and express one's own emotions and to handle Interpersonal relationships, that in a empathetic sense, and I would also add to that that you can uh, read people's emotional communication. Right. So sometimes people are not clear at articulating what is upsetting them.
2: Yeah.
1: But you need to know. Yes. They're upset. Or they're not clear at articulating what they're passionate about. But you need to be able to pick up on the fact that they're Mm -hmm. passionate about whatever
2: it is they're talking to you about. And I would say that this is also one that cannot be taught. Yeah, this is. and, And what I went back to. Maybe it can to some extent, but what I said before, and this is from personal experience, because naturally, I am not the most intelligent person. Right. But I do find myself, especially when in difficult situations, when it comes to replanting or revitalizing, whatever you want to call it, it's like it's like the Holy Spirit gives me a double dose, right? Mm-hmm. And And so I have learned that especially in those situations, I am not... To lean on my own understanding, or my own skill set, but I've just got to lean on the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me in those situations, uh, because that is just not something that's natural for me. And you know, there is a
1: there is a directness that men usually have in mm-hmm. their emotional connection and co- communicating, and then there is an indirectness that females have in the church. Mm-hmm. And your ability to walk with both of them is important because sometimes you need to walk with them in an indirect way to help them arrive where we all need to arrive together, right? Okay, another one that you're going to deal with in church revitalization and replanting is um, you must have an affinity. So that's a big fancy word to just say you got to like it. Mm -hmm. An affinity (laughs) for multi-generational ministry, Okay.
2: Uh, what does this mean, Brent? You gotta love them, young and old, <laughs> from
1: cradle to grave. <laughs> that's right.
2: That's right. And everywhere in between. And and you know it's uh, this this is not. I think it's easy to assume this depends on your age. It's it's not dependent upon your no. age at all. Um, actually, I, I'm what most would consider young, but I, I have a much easier time relating to older than I do younger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I know plenty of guys in the ministry that are older that do an excellent job of relating to those that are younger and they love the young people, uh, maybe even to the neglect of the old people. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you got, you got to love them both. And when you're thinking about what's next for my church, don't ask, don't ask what is next without considering um, the, the full span of um, the, the generational makeup of your church.
1: Yeah, so if you roll into the youth group and start talking about Jerry Clower.
2: It's probably not going to...
1: That's going to go over like, yeah, Yeah. not well. Yeah. It's going to go over like Tennessee's new head coach announcement. <laughs> not well. Yeah. <laughs> the boards are going to light up with yeah. anger. But if you walk into a senior adult ministry Christmas party and start talking about Jerry Clower, mm-hmm. you're going to be a hero. Yes. Because that is somebody that resonates with them so you're saying the senior adults may not follow me on TikTok they might not although you do usually have that one weird one right? <laughs> there's always that one <laughs> but they're not even going to know what you're talking about they're going to think you're yeah. talking about a timepiece, piece yeah. you know not a social media right. uh, venue so yeah there's definitely a need there and then there's everybody in between you know, yeah. uh, you know I, I feel like uh, there is a lot of cultural hate like there's a lot of generational hate in the world. Like yes. I've noticed this and you see this like you know, phrases like okay boomer, right? Mm-hmm. Well you know, that they're such a millennial snowflake. <laughs> you know
2: it, Well and you know, with that in mind, let me just add, as as a pastor, don't hire out or contract out your affinity for a certain generation. <laughs> Woo, easy right, fellow. <laughs> because it is it is so, so easy. Brakes on that senior adult pastor, <laughs> or <laughs> the brakes on that youth. Pastor. It's so easy to say, like, uh, okay, for these um, for gen G, for for gen Z, that's that's the youth pastor's job. Yeah, he's got an affinity for them because that right there, I think, is one of the number one contributors to to teenagers graduating high school and never coming back to the church. Yeah.
1: Never were connected with the pastor, were they?
2: Right. The, the only person who ever had an affinity for them, they can't go to his Bible study anymore. Yeah. So what are they going to do?
1: Mm-hmm. So, Oddly enough, there was a study I think Ed Stetcher put together, and one of the top two or three things that students who did stay in the church said it was a a personal connection and relationship with the pastor.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So there it, you
2: go. It, it's not wrong to have those pastors. No, no. <laughs> at it's all. Not, but... You know, you be a to, part of what's going on.
1: I've also heard of pastors who will offer a special, almost like a transition class for mm. those that when they graduate high school, like that summer, that two, yeah. or three month long summer. And you you can only go to that class and be with the pastor if you're you graduate high school. No other age groups allowed in there. Oh, wow. And uh, that he's seen a lot of good fruit produced from that. It's the grad, high school graduation version, of like the new member class. Kind of, yeah, yeah. But it's like I, I think it's meant to just disciple them and love on them. Yeah, you know, and
2: it works out really well. Cool. Next one, give us give it to us, Brent. What do we got? Where are we? Respect for a church's legacy, um, and this is important for some a replanter or someone who. Eventually, is coming in to change things. So a pastor with respect for a church's legacy knows how to love and build off a church's past without allowing people in the congregation to idolize the past in an unhealthy way
1: so what is examples of healthy versus unhealthy ways of honoring a church's legacy
2: so one of the best examples of healthy that I've ever heard this wasn't us at Minneapolis this was this was in another another church different context but just an excellent way to do this so they had their church strengthening or church development team, whatever they called it. They were coming together. This was a team that was working. They had committed to replant, to revitalize. This was a team that was working through that. They had young. They had old. They had people who had been in the church for years, who had only been in the church for a few years, and they were struggling with this idea of church's legacy. The people who had been around for a while hadn't, didn't want to make changes. The younger people, they didn't understand why are we holding on to these things? So they actually did a weekend retreat. And they got together. They cabin or whatever the case may be. They were doing Bible studies together. But the, the pastor just said, okay, for all of you who have been at this church for years, for decades even, tell us of some of your fondest memories of the church. And so they went around the room and they're telling all these fondest memories. And all of the young people just were so excited and just encouraged about all the amazing things that had happened at this church in the past, they began to understand why the older people had such an affinity for the way things used to be because of all the success. And so they had that understanding. And then the pastor looked at all the young people, all the new people, and said, tell us about some of the things that you see this church doing in the future. When that happened all of the older people got excited about what could come. And so that sort of got them on the same page mm. of building off of the legacy, but understanding that um, the, the legacy that, that they were there in that room to help start building in that church for future generations may not be built the same way that the legacy for them had been built.
1: Right. What got us to here may not get us to where we need to go. Right, but that's a hard step to see. Uh, Another church I read about once, and I can't remember where I read this because at some point all the books on church revivalization kind of merge into one thing. But uh, they talked about you know homecomings are a big deal Mm -hmm. in Appalachia and in many places in the South. There are also opportunities to do this well. right so one church they were celebrating their 100 year anniversary Mm -hmm. which that's a big mile marker a lot of churches don't make it past 100 years and they rolled out this big you know they had plans for different things they were going to do in the next you know 10 years or whatever and they made this huge banner and after dinner they like dropped it down and it said praise god for the last 100 years And here's to the next hundred years or till Christ returns. So here you see Mm -hmm. a connection to what God has done in the past and connecting that to what God is doing now and will do in the future. And finally, we're at the last one, a willingness to confront. (laughs) Now, I I have some things I want to say about this one (laughs) because I'm going to call out some pastors right now. There's a lot of limp-wristed pastors, right? What I mean by that is there is a misnomer in the culture, and I think really it's a satanic misnomer, Hmm. that pastors should be pacifist, that Mm -hmm. they should be uh, willing to just take whatever anybody dishes out, that they should be okay with what anybody says at any time, that they should not ever say hard things to people. Mm -hmm. But here's my question, Brent. Were we ever called to be sweeter than
2: Jesus? (laughs) I don't think so. I don't find that in the text.
1: Was Jesus ever known for saying hard things? Absolutely. Did Jesus ever get angry?
2: He was prone to do that.
1: Do you think pastors are ever allowed to participate in these kind of things?
2: I think they should. Oh, what do you mean? I would say that, uh, which you read it there, directness is, is the key. And sometimes directness may come off very stern, sometimes it could be loving, but um, you know if, if something if there's a conflict, if there's an issue in the church that is unbiblical, and if it's an issue, if it's a conflict, it probably is unbiblical right, then your people should see you angry over the fact that something unbiblical has caused a conflict
1: yeah.
2: in your church. They should see you passionate. About that, they they should see that because if you if we're sweeping it under the rug, if we're passive, some of these some of these things that you mentioned, limp wristed, then that says to the church that it doesn't matter. Mm. And if it doesn't matter this time, it's not going to matter next time, and it's probably going to be worse next time than it yeah. was this time.
1: Can I tell you a horror story? from, a, pa- from a pastor not not Please being do. willing to confront. There was a, a deacon I had, very faithful deacon, still love that family, talked to him today, and they were a part of this church in the Midwest. And this is just shows you what happens when a pastor's not willing to confront. There was a, an adultery case that broke out between the piano player and the music leader. They were not married. They were. She was married to a deacon in that church, and he was married to his wife. So that affair continued. It was never confronted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing was ever done. Guess what happened? More affairs began popping mm-hmm. up within yep. the church it spread through the body right what should that pastor have done there should have been immediate action absolutely there should have been immediate anger there should have been immediate yep. you know that when it is it is sort of like you know the gift of confrontation which yes it should be done directly it should be done in love it should be done in humility and patience and wisdom but it should be done yes a lot of the times, churches have gotten in the situation they're in because there's been a lack of confrontation, which has led to apathy mm-hmm. in the church. So, yes, there has to be a willingness to confront.
2: Absolutely, and I, I won't tell the whole story because of time. But a, a lack of willingness to confront is is really an issue that has had plagued our church for years and caused a lot of issues. Maybe one of the maybe one of the leading reasons that. Uh, that our church got to the point where it needed to be revitalized mm. was a lack of willingness to confront, and uh, and so, as I mentioned before, I don't naturally have emotional intelligence, <laughs> and there was an Can issue. You bring your
1: wife along to help you I, with that.
2: Absolutely, her. absolutely, <laughs> because she has a great deal of emotional intelligence. But so there, there was just briefly there was an issue that came up between two ladies, a few ladies in the church, really. Um, A small issue, you know, it wasn't the color of the carpet, but a color of the carpet type issue. Shouldn't have been a big deal, but it was a big deal. Well, the issue was brought to my attention, but I lacked emotional intelligence and I said, well, it's no big deal. So it wasn't addressed immediately. Well, that continued to fester.
1: But what they heard when you said that was different than what you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. What they
1: heard was probably like our relationship with each other. It's not that important to you.
2: Right, absolutely. Yeah. So this continues to fester until it bubbles over Till there's an argument in the sanctuary one Sunday after church nice. between them. So then I finally get... The Spirit finally blesses me with emotional intelligence to realize there's a problem here. <laughs>
1: the light finally flipped on.
2: And so what we did was something that everyone involved told me that they had not seen happen in this church before. But we got these ladies and their husbands and my wife in a room together, and we did something crazy, Travis. what you do? We talked about
1: it. Oh, my goodness.
2: We confronted the issue. Are you kidding me? We addressed the issue.
1: So you didn't just go <laughs> on as if this big blow-up never happened?
2: Absolutely not.
1: And never talk about it again?
2: And here's here's the key to this, though. Here, here's the key to a willingness to confront. After it's confronted, don't be afraid to talk about the fact that it's been confronted.
1: Yeah, I think follow-ups are good. Yes, because, you know, you don't want, you want to be clear, because here's what happens. I think people will start having gaps and blanks at times, yes. and people will naturally fill them in.
2: Yeah.
1: And usually not with good things. Yeah. So clarity is, is important. And, you know, it's not like you got to go in hot-headed or anything like that. But, you know, Jesus went in and beat people. Yeah. I mean, he took a whip and beat people. Now, I'm not recommending any pastors in, in Appalachia beat people. Oh. Don't hear me say oh, that. I'm okay. Like, There's too much social media to get away with that now. <laughs> Like it would be on the news Somebody will have a like camera. Uh, so you can't do it like Nehemiah and Jesus did. <laughs> Nehemiah did the same thing, pulled their hair and slapped them. You know, I mean, you can't do that now. You know, uh, <laughs>
2: times have certainly changed. Yeah.
1: I mean, that one guy, I remember somebody sent me a clip. There was some pastor, he got mad on a Sunday night and he just laid into the sound guy. Did you see that? And he just started going through all the people in the church and <laughs> just laying that. into it. I've seen that. Oh, man, it was brutal. I yep. mean, I, I just. Cringe to think what unbelievers yep. thought, but you got to remember, though, for those of you that may be unbelievers listening to that, you were watching basically a family meeting because that's who comes on Sunday night. Yeah, you were watching that pastor discipline a family meeting in a very public fashion. <laughs> it was, it was very much a can. Should he have done it? Probably. Should he have done it in front of the entire church and on social media? No, he shouldn't have done <laughs> yeah. that. Like you don't spank your kids on social media, right? Right. right. So you don't confront. Yeah. Um, and the reality is, when this is done right, it prevents a whole lot of
2: conflict. Absolutely, from blowing up in the church. Would yes. you agree? Absolutely. And and so one of the, before we left that meeting, one of the questions was asked: Is what what next? So do we just? I mean, we don't want people to know this happened, right? And I said, I said, no. We we want people to know that this happened and that you all had an issue. But more importantly, we want them to know that you all worked it out. Yeah. That, that everyone in this room was held accountable for their actions. And everyone in this room made it right. And I said, because when that message passes to the rest of the church, that's how you change a, church, a culture in a church right. to handle conflict. And it's also it's going to make everyone accountable. And so maybe in your church, gossip has always been an issue. Mm-hmm. Well, if you start holding people's feet to the fire on gossip, gossip's going to start happening a lot less. Yeah, it will.
1: It's true, and it does, a lot of these things start with the pastor and the leadership of the church. Absolutely. And, you know, I know there's some of you that are looking around right now, and I was just actually listening to a really good podcast on the drive up here. By the way, we're recording live from Dogtown tonight. It's a late night up here in Dogtown, pretty, pretty too. Cool, yes, so. yeah.
2: The street light's cut off in ten minutes, I think. Uh, we better wrap this up.
1: We're going to make What time do they roll the asphalt up? That's what I want to know.
2: It's calm, buddy. you a <laughs> oh, good lot? thing you got your Jeep because you're on dirt back yeah, to the state line. That's right. I'm okay. I'll
1: make it back. Me and Wendy, that's the name of my Jeep. So <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, if you, if you do conflict well, like you're talking about, Brent, you know, some people are afraid that that's going to turn, like, visitors or lost people off. No. It does the exact opposite. Absolutely. I heard a story once of a, of a church that did something similar to, like, what you had, and they addressed it from the stage on a Sunday morning, and the people that were there were just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe, you know, that you handle this, but I'm coming back because yeah. this is the only church I've ever seen that address this, and and I've I've done this as well from the pulpit. I've had situations like there was one case, you know, the principle in scripture is usually you address an issue like if there's been a conflict or, or a confrontation to the level of people that know about it. Yeah. So if five people saw the blow up, you got to address it with five people. Mm-hmm. If 400 people saw the blow up sure you got to address it with 400 people if yeah. four people saw it yeah you know it's got to be four
2: well you know I just told you and this wasn't addressing a conflict publicly but I just told you a little while ago um, back maybe two or three weeks ago um, four weeks even um, on a Sunday morning I preached a message on church discipline. And the need for church discipline and the lack of church discipline that we have now in churches. um, The need to, to, to revive church discipline, if you will. The next Sunday, we had a family who's come for a long time, but who was certainly here for that message join the church because they said I want to be a part of a body where there's accountability mm. and I, I want to be accountable to someone and I love these people I want to love these people and I want to be able to go after them if they if they stray just as I want them to come after me That's so right. Um, we, you're right uh, it's so easy the flesh Satan whatever wants us to see it as a negative or a turn off um, but I mean we've got first hand experience just in the last month here of how um, accountability, addressing and confronting people um, over, over issues can be, is a positive, not can be, it is a positive for the church.
1: Well, and I, I'm going to say this. I love being a Southerner. I love being from the South. We're from Southern Appalachia. And I know there are Appalachians up in the North too. But this particular one for our culture is hard. Mm-hmm. For several reasons. One reason is because we like to use our words to make the atmosphere of the room comfortable for everybody. Yep. Another one is that in the South, there's a lot of secrets. <laughs> you just don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way families have handled conflict yep. privately. Is Yeah, Aunt Susie laid in a mamaw, you know, at the family picnic back in 2001 and yep. said the most ugly things we've ever heard one human being say to another, but we just don't talk about it.
2: Right. Absolutely,
1: and that's the way a lot of families have handled it is they've just kind of shoved it down and stubbed it down. I don't think that's God's will for the mm. church, you know. And you got to remember that your conflict patterns in your family may not be healthy conflict patterns. Yeah, you know. And culturally here in the south and in central South Appalachia, that that's a hard hurdle. Mm-hmm. It's a hard hurdle. All right, we're going to land the plane here. This has been thirteen. I hope this has been helpful for you, either as a pastor or as laity, to to see these. And uh, these are not really just things that we want to see in just pastors. We hope our lay leaders in the church can exhibit these. No pastor is going to be great at all these, right? Absolutely. He'll he'll have some of these. You you said you struggle with the emotional intelligence. Uh, there's there's different ones that I was trying to find on here, but I, I can't think of one that I'm weak on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty solid I guess, all these. I guess my greatest weakness is that I have no weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, there's a, there's ones I'm like that resourceful generalist. Like it just, it annoys me. Yeah. And so I just don't like doing it, but I do it. You know what I mean? Somewhat yeah. gradually. Anyway, alright, well thanks Brent for being on here and I uh, look forward to catching with, catching up with you next time on here as we continue to share resources and, and be a help to our pastors here in Appalachia. Don't forget to email us in or you know voice text us in or whatever and we'll, we may even put you on the show, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host. Please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm/slash Appalachian Baptist Network. Join us again next Monday.